This is your life, God's truth. Your QFM, it's Phil, and it's that time of the week. It is Gus Booth with me on the phone from Warroad Community Church. Hey, Gus, how are you, sir? Hey, I'm doing good. How are you? I am good. I, uh, I've already felt like I've hung out with you a while today because uh, last Sunday we watched your sermon, uh, which was awesome. And then this morning I kind of was re-watching it again and getting it into my system here as a recording. And I wanted to take notes. So uh, can we uh, take a deep dive into your last week's sermon? Is that okay? <laughs> let's, uh, let's put our... <laughs> Our scuba tanks on, I guess, and let's dive in. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, uh, for our listeners, you guys know how much we uh, love and appreciate Gus coming on and his uh, boldness, his straightforwardness, and his love of Jesus and of God's Word and and all of that put together. You know, you're you're on a series, I know, of uh, wholesome thinking, and I loved how you said God wants us to think the way He thinks. I mean, that's just a simple statement, but boy, how, how profound is that, huh? Right, that's part of why Peter wrote First and Second Peter at the end of Second Peter. He said, I write both of these letters to teach you how to think wholesomely, and so yeah. I'm just preaching expositorily through First and Second Peter. You know, and last week you and I talked a little bit about persecution, and you'd spent a lot of time on that in this particular passage. Well, First Peter chapter 4 uh, 12 through 19 is all about that. You know, it's about the the church is going to suffer over time. And you, you mentioned John 16, uh, 12, and that one bites a little bit, doesn't it? Holy cow. Or 16, it's, 2, yeah, I mean. It, it yeah. is. It, I mean, he says persecution to those that follow him in multiple areas of the Scripture, like a, over a dozen times he talks about, you know, the world yeah. hating you, and so we, we need to kind of wisen up, you know, as Christians in our culture now that it's really starting to hate us. I mean, the 1950s, Christians were the culture of the yeah. United States, but in the 2020s, we are not the culture of the United States anymore. That John 16, 2, where he's talking to his disciples, too, he says, uh, there will be a time coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. I mean, that's that's pretty interesting as that's well. That's pretty crazy. I mean, that is specifically talking yeah. about the people that, you know, he was talking to in that moment. But in Matthew chapter 24, yeah. he says some of the same things to those in the end times, and we are probably in the end times, or yeah. getting closer anyway, and so it applies to us, too. Like, they're going to... The world is going to kill Christians all yeah. over the world. And have been, actually. It's, it's really never stopped since the time of Christ. You know, there's no doubt about it. You were yeah, talking there's always somewhere in the world yes, where yes. somebody doesn't like Christians enough to kill them. Yeah. You were talking about being a troublemaker. You know, Paul was thought of as a, as, as a troublemaker. That's why we get persecuted. We're, we cause trouble for the world. And then you asked everyone who was listening to your sermon— are you doing that? Are you creating trouble for the world? And we actually should be doing that, right? And, and, yeah, and kind of explain that. In order to make trouble, like we don't want to go out and be <laughs> right. like, I'm going to try to make trouble, but we want to be able to preach what the Bible says, and the world perceives that as creating trouble for it. Exactly. Yeah. Well, uh, and and why is that? I mean, because they don't want those limitations. Is that that's part of it? Yeah. Obviously. Absolutely. They just don't want to be judged, you know, quote, judged. They don't want to 
um, submit to God, and of course God wants them to submit to Him for their own benefit and His, but they're not convinced of that yet. That's why God wants us to tell them, and so we do, and then we get labeled a troublemaker just like Paul did in Acts chapter 24. Yeah. You made a really interesting point right after that. You said that Jesus tells us this for a very specific reason, you know, that the world is going to hate us and that, um, you know, we're going to be causing trouble for them. And I think basically what you said is uh, we're not, we're supposed to expect it. We are not to get angry at the world back again because when we do, we sin, right? And and we, we are not to do that. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean... I love to say you can't be mad at a blind man for stepping on your foot. He can't see. And so bottom line is when the world accuses us of things that they cannot see, well, they can't see it because they're spiritually blind. So it would make no sense for us to get mad at their, you know, blindness or their wickedness. But it makes great sense for us to just tell them what the Word says and just allow the Holy Spirit to convict them, or not convict them. But it's no skin off of our nose, you know? Yeah. Well, and we'll get to this a little bit later as we go, but we we certainly aren't to be silent either. Jesus uh, testifies to the world that what they do is evil, you know, that, uh, well, not everything they do, but that they do a lot of things that go against what is true and what is right, and that we are also supposed to do that. And then when, when they're suffering... We are to rejoice, and uh, you kind of enjoyed that part. <laughs> right, yeah. Rejoice! That was really new to me, like when I was preparing the message. That's really funny, you know, that God tells us to rejoice when they basically hate us. Yeah. And so I, I just think that's strange, first of all, um, but he does say that. And so let's do what it is he says to do. Just for yourself. Like, you hate me? Oh, well, that's. Not a bummer. That's actually great. You know, go get your friends and have them hate me, too, because my God tells me that I should rejoice. <laughs> well, and you said even in Scripture there in First Peter 4, it says to be overjoyed. It goes on to say that. You said that God is a genius when it comes to this. I love this part because if we rejoice while they're, you know, trying to hurt us, because they want us to look hurt. They want us to... Uh, you know, start crying or walk away feeling defeated. But if we just rejoice, that has an influence on them, doesn't it, Gus? Yeah, well, they don't They don't get the reaction they want. They want to make yes, us feel yes. bad. And so if we're not feeling bad, I would presume that the reason I think God's a genius is that, you know, they just stop coming after us because it just makes us happier and happier you know, when they come after us. So they're like, ah, <laughs> oh, forget it. I'm not going to go after them anymore because I don't want them to be happy. <laughs> uh, that is such a good point. I, I, don't, I want our listeners to make sure that they get that, you know, that when the world gets angry and get offended, we should rejoice. Now, we got to be careful. We don't want to do it for the sake of that, but, you know, because you don't want to be a meddler. And that's Yeah, a, you're that's, not like condescendingly, yeah. like, yes. you know, doing that. But it's just... It's okay. Like they killed our savior for loving them. What makes yeah. them? What makes us think it'll be any different for us loving them? Yeah. You know, you said that the church today, in large part, tries so hard not to be persecuted. Okay. You know, I, I just saw this crazy story moments before I called you 
Uh, it's one of the satellite churches for Andy Stanley, the North Point Church. And um, one of the gals who's in charge, she's the director of operations of one of those churches. She's on a video at a drag show, and she's up on stag, stage, and this drag queen is gyrating all over her on this chair. And she's one of the higher-ups at one of the North Point satellite churches. And, and on her Facebook, she's all about uh, Pride Month and things like that. I mean, that's just a, a classic example of what you're talking about here, where many in the church, they'll almost do anything not to be persecuted, not to be uh, thought of as being offensive, right? Yeah, I guess. Wow, that's a, that's pretty surprising. I mean, that would if there was a member of my staff that was videoed sitting on a chair getting gyrated uh, I watched by it. a drag queen, I watched fired, it myself, right? and, and yeah, she like, should be fired. fired. Like, yeah. That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. But that's, you, you see it, though. You see the church kind of capitulating in, in certain areas, especially that one, because they'd, ra- you know, we want all these people to come to church and not to feel offended. Well, I get that, because you do want uh, people who sin, including us, to come to church. But it's not okay to stay in that, yeah, we in come to sin. church to get cleaned, yeah. not come to church to be told we don't need to be cleaned. Yeah, well, exactly right. And you said, too, that if we are insulted because of our faith, we are blessed. That's just, Peter says that, and again, in First Peter chapter 4. You mentioned that right now, in 2023, it's pretty easy to tell who the followers of Jesus are. And I, I think I know what you meant by that, Gus, but it's basically we're seeing the, the dividing lines clearer and clearer every day, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, really, in the 50s, it was like the Christianity was the culture. Yeah. And it isn't, it's just not the culture anymore. And so if you're silent about the Word of God, you really demonstrate what you really hold uh, or esteem. And, and if it's not the Word of God, then you can't claim to be a follower of God, right? Like, there's no secret service agents in the army of God. We're supposed to be public, and, you know, especially in our culture, for goodness sake, because it's just so under attack. Yeah. Well, and we are to turn from sin. There is no doubt about it. Uh, we mentioned this word meddler, and uh, I was fascinated to find out, because you said this in your message, that it this particular word in First Peter 4, it's the only place in the entire Bible that this word is used, right? Yeah, it's the only place. And it really is just talking about those overly critical people that see themselves as the watchdog to keep everybody on the straight and narrow. And, you know, there are those people out there, those hyper, you know, right-wing, you know, jerkish kind of people. Uh, And we don't want to be, you know, like that at all. But when our government, you know, makes some pretty wicked laws, you know, this last week, and we don't say anything about it, yeah. um, That that's not being a meddler. That's doing what all of our founding fathers of our, you know, of our religion did. They, they confronted their yeah. culture, yeah. to include the founder himself, Jesus Christ. You know, when you think of meddler, because there would be people that would probably accuse me of being that, just because... We talk about some of these things on the air once in a while. And you even mentioned something similar in your message 
you know, where you sometimes will take a stand on issues happening in the legislature and, you know, could people call you a meddler? And you said, no, I, I, I don't believe so. And you kind of just explained that. And to me, it's just taking a stand. Meddling would be just constantly, for example, on Facebook, just uh, hopping on people's Facebook page and saying, you know, what you're doing is wrong and uh, criticizing every little thing here, there, and everywhere. I mean, a real busybody kind of person. Yeah, that's and, still how the King James uh, actually translates it into English, is a busybody. Ah, got it. Okay, I don't have time to be a busybody. <laughs> right? Yeah, I'm not interested in policing the entire, you know, state, for goodness sake. Right. But I am interested, at the very least, you know, addressing when the state makes mistakes, like pretty grievous mistakes. Yeah, we've got to take a stand on these issues. If the church doesn't do it, who's going to do it? And that's where you mentioned those incredibly powerful and famous words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, silence in the presence of evil is in and of itself evil. I mean, and that's just so true, Gus. Yeah, and and he's he's the guy that most evangelical pastors will, will really esteem and look up to, you know, because he stood up to the Nazis. Well, I don't know that I'm trying to say, like, I'm a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, for goodness sake, but I, I am standing up to the legislature and, yeah. you know, Governor Walls. They're making some some very bad legislation, and evangelical pastors who believe the Word of God, I believe, have a duty, biblically, to stand up. Not just because Dietrich Bonhoeffer said to, but because the Scriptures talk about yeah. that, doing that. Yeah, absolutely. This is where uh, your message really got interesting. <laughs> uh, I, you kind of warned me that you were going to get into this at your sermon, so I was waiting for it. And we're talking about the legislature. And one of the things that they have done is pass this ban on conversion therapy. And, of course, that involves pastors. You guys do meet with people who struggle with sin, you know, whether it's a couple or a family or an individual. And I, I know that you've met, for example, with many men who struggle with pornography, for example, that kind of thing. And more and more we have these identity issues that uh, a perfect place for people to go would be a pastor. And then sometimes they'll want to go see a therapist. Uh, moms and dads are very concerned about a son or a daughter struggling with identity. They might want to take them to see a therapist where you actually have to pay a little bit of money. And that's what's been outlawed is you cannot charge if you're going to work with someone who, uh, you know, is struggling with same-sex attraction, for example. And uh, before we get into what you said you would do, I loved what you said about God, you know, and the triune God. He is the overall conversion therapist. I love that. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, Jesus is my conversion therapist. That's He converted me, for goodness yes. sake. You know, like, you could probably sum up the entire Bible by saying... It's a conversion therapy book. <laughs> exactly right. You know, we're converted. Well, what does that mean? We're changed. We went from this to this. And, uh, you know, the, the latter this is way better than the early this. And so that's what's going on. And, and to think that in Minnesota we're going to ban conversion therapy, uh, you know, especially if you're going to charge for it. You, however, Pastor Gus Booth, have solved that problem completely 
And so <laughs> I want you to explain to our listeners, how have you uh, taken on the governor's conversion therapy ban? Well, we will help anybody. Like I'm going to help anybody who wants to be free from any sort of sin. But if you are wanting to be free from same-sex attraction, I'm going to charge you a dollar. What? Uh, I won't help you for free because, not because I want to get rich, <laughs> but because the government says I can't charge. That's right. You know, um, and if the government says you can't charge this year, in a year or two, they're going to say you can't even help somebody with same-sex attraction in the future. So I just think, yeah. I'm not going to play that game. I'm just going to charge. And and what I'm hoping, brother, what I'm hoping is that other pastors will realize that the enemy has, like, overplayed his cards here. Yeah. Right? Like, this is a ridiculous law. And so we're all, all the evangelical pastors of the state of Minnesota, we're going to not charge a single cent in order to help somebody be free from sin, except if it's same-sex attraction. We are going to charge a dollar and just simply say, come and get us, you yeah. know, come and get us. Exactly. In fact, we started a website, you know, called uh, changeforadollar.us. Now, he's not kidding, because I have that website pulled <laughs> up right now. You literally did this today. Uh, I th- think about the the uh, website. What do they call that again? The you know the address, if you will, changeforadollar dot com. Is that what it is? Dot us. Dot, oh dot yeah, US. dot us. Yeah. Change. So change. You know, in other words, conversion. Change yeah. for a dollar. Dot us. That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> we did think it was kind of clever. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, Jesus is our conversion therapist. You can watch Gus's sermon from last Sunday right there as well. Of course, you can go to warroadcommunitychurch.com uh, as well. But uh, changeforadollar.us, you've got to check that out. And this is no joke here because, you know, this is reminiscent of what you did. Maybe it was 10 years ago or a dozen years ago to kind of challenge that Johnson Amendment uh, situation where the church was saying, that pastors couldn't endorse candidates or talk about politics or they would lose their, you know, 501c3 status. You challenge that directly uh, because that's just who and, and how God made you, Pastor Gus. And now here you're doing it again. Well, we won that, you know, fight, and hopefully we'll, we'll win this one too. But we can't win it by ourselves. I often wonder, like, why do I have to be that guy, Lord? Like, can there be some others, you know, and, and there are some others, there really are, but in mass, if, you know, if 3,000 Minnesota pastors just all of a sudden, you know, went to, you know, change, uh, what is it, change for a dollar? <laughs> so new, I don't even know it in my mind yet. Change for a dollar, that was like if they went there and just, you know, showed their support, signed up for emails, like we don't even know how we're going to run this thing yet, but yeah. we know that we have to have some sort of, you know, unifying body to, you know, to help, you know, the Bible not be attacked and outlawed in the state of Minnesota. Yeah. Amen. Because that's exactly what that bill does. You know, it is, it's just not right. And we have to take a stand. And so there you are way up on the northern border of Minnesota. And uh, I believe your courage and boldness will flow right on down through the state and it'll take a little while, but somebody's got to start it. And uh, that's what you're doing again, because you've done this before. 
I loved your uh, your verse that you mentioned and got very excited about it. Psalm 25, verse 3. Boy, that is a dandy, isn't it? No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Uh, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Yeah, like the world will try to shame us for our um, judgmentalness, you know, but it's not being judgmental. It's just making a right judgment. And so if the world shames us, big deal, they're, they're blind. Yeah. Like, why would we care about what they thought? You know, and if God is going to tell us we will never be put to shame, like, that encourages me if I really believe it. If I didn't believe it and just wanted the world to, you know, to be okay with me, even though I had, you know, biblical thoughts that, you know, come against the world, like, Mm -hmm. that's an inconsistent, hypocritical type of lifestyle. And I just don't want to live one of those, I feel... Yeah. Like, God doesn't want me to either, and so I'm just going to be like, thank you for that promise, Lord. No one who's hoping is in you will ever be put to shame, yeah. and my hope is in you, so I will never be put to shame, according to your word. Good one to put to memory, Psalm 25.3, never be put to shame. And you, of course, wrapped up with some powerful verses, Second Timothy 3.12, everyone will be persecuted. That's just a promise uh, from God's word. If you're doing God's will, you will be persecuted. And like yeah, you if said, you want to live a godly life, that's that, exactly. What it says. Like, yeah. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yeah. So let's just remember that. Like, if you are never persecuted in the culture that we live in today, because the culture is so sinister in many areas, then you are not living a godly life. Now, I don't know that that would be completely true in the 1950s, because our culture was righteous. Yeah. Right? Not completely righteous, but much more righteous than it is now. But because it is so wicked now, and we are passing laws that we are passing, if you want to live a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. And, you know, we just have to believe the Word of God. Yeah. And, and then, be okay with it. And then rejoice, like we said earlier, if you're yeah. persecuted. I get it. It is a little hard sometimes, you know, like, man, why can't... I just, you know, be quiet and not say anything so that I don't... Like, I can't do that because... It's not because he made me this way. It's because I have become this way. Yeah. Right? I I have become somebody who believes the Word of God. I didn't believe the Word of God, you know, coming out of my mother's womb. I, I didn't. I was an unsaved, blind man myself, and... When I turned 20, then that changed. And now I've been, you know, walking the path with Jesus for, well, what would that be, 29 years now. Yeah, Um, amen. I'll be turning 50 this year, so. Amen. I tell you what, uh, with what you're doing here, this change for a dollar.us, and if you want my help, let me know. But I think uh, there's some bigger agencies in Minnesota that need to know what about that. And I think they'd be excited. You know, you know the uh, Minnesota Family Council. They should know about it. Uh, the Center for the American Experiment, Alpha News. You'd get a lot of coverage on it, Gus, because it's bold and, and it's kind of uh, doing the right thing in the face of what the legislator's been doing. So let me know if you want some help with that. <laughs> Well, I definitely do. Let's. I, I'll Let's probably go. make a few phone calls too. I guess I didn't even think about that, but oh. that's that's wise to do, brother. Yeah, that is the thing to do. And First Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. That is all a part of this as well. You know, we're not just wanting to be 
uh, bold and in people's faces for the sake of that and, and all of that. But it's about knowing that we are a part of the family of God and the hope. That's the hope that we have. That's the motivation. Love and hope, isn't it? Absolutely. It is, the motivation is not to be a troublemaker. Exactly. It, it isn't. I don't want to be a troublemaker. I don't like particularly think, yay, I'm going to make trouble for the world today. But I am going to make righteousness available to the world, and they call me a troublemaker for that. But I'm in good company because they killed my Savior for that, and the guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament was named a troublemaker, yeah. and I'd like to identify with Paul. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Gus. Thank you for taking the time, and uh, we just pray God will uh, use what you're doing and uh, just keep keep things moving because we need it right now in, in this day and age. We need to take a stand, so thank you. Amen. You're welcome, brother. This is your life, God's truth, your QFM.